Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I just want to tell you a little bit about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everybody the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast but don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get this all for only $15 a month. That is the exact same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So you're getting a pretty good value here. Whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description uh, in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com forward slash join. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, gentlemen, Nick and Dan. And gentlemen, we're back with another Matt Loss special. Uh, Going to be talking about 2020, a little look back in time over this wild year. Some of Matt's top moments for this for Chelsea. Uh, we'll take a little look at some of the other things that happened, obviously, with the, the pandemic and, and everything going on and how it just changed football literally overnight. Um, but Dan, you've got here kicking it off right away, all the way to the beginning of 2020. What happened? What was going on? That seems like such a long time ago. Well, it's it's the how, how did it start and how is it going type of meme, right? And so we're recording this uh, a little bit ahead of the end of the year. So you're listening to this, you know, right as you're coming up on maybe some New Year planning about your Zoom call and ordering your delivery for the 31st. You can have a nice, safe and socially distant New Year's Eve. But 2020 started with a 1-1 draw against Brighton. And uh, hopefully it's ended with a positive run of form for Chelsea, Nick. But I think in general, there's a lot of good stories that we can kind of jump into with Matt. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's certainly been a, a roller coaster and, and Matt's been present both online and in person for for a lot of it. So we, we thought this would be a good opportunity to do a little reflection and a little story time all at once. So that is, I think, going to be uh kind of the premise of, of the uh, the event here. I think the first thing, though, Matt, and it's just such a memorable day, um, January 1st, 2020, when everything was possible. Do you remember the optimism? Boy, what a tremendous start to a, a great year. 1-1 one, one draw versus Brighton uh, in one of the most dull affairs that we that we probably experienced in 2020. Um Thoughts and feelings on on just this momentous occasion. Do you know what I? I can't. I struggle to recollect anything from that game at all. It's like my memory's been blanked of that game. It's funny because, um, in actual fact, my memory of twenty twenty, if you were to talk to me about Chelsea, would be of this sort of the entertainment at both ends. You know, they mm-hmm. they've been entertaining going forward, and they spent a lot of the year struggling at the back. So you know, my. My overriding thought on Chelsea in 2020 is if this very entertaining, um, quite unsteady team at, at times, which is quite can be quite unpredictable, um, 
and so that 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 first result against Brighton and that first game that I really can't recollect a lot from um, didn't didn't really paint the picture of 2020 whatsoever. I don't think, to be quite honest with you. The two two notables from that match were uh, Pulisic out hurt, which was the theme of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you hand bash with an absurd <laughs> overhead kick to. He hasn't scored a goal oh, since. Oh yeah, uh, overhead kick. Yeah, and and of course that one went in uh, against the run of play. Um, well, it was so the, yeah, uh, that's the Aspie goal to start too, right? It was a super early mm-hmm. Aspie goal, just you know, a, a defender's goal, which is always great. And uh, yeah, then uh, absolute uh, calamity at the end of the match. <laughs> it de- it definitely set the scene a little bit for the back half of, of the season for Chelsea. Um, but again, now that we've rewound everyone's minds to, to the 1st of January, um, Matt, if you were to reflect a little bit on some of the things you'll remember most about Chelsea in this past calendar year, fans and then no fans. I remember seeing some of your tweets about that. I believe you wrote about it as well. And just how the atmosphere literally changed overnight. Uh, specifically, you talked about how it was a nightmare getting in and out of stadiums. Now, all of a sudden, you were just driving on into the car park and driving out at the end. Yeah, I mean, it's so to try and give you a flavor of what it's like, just change from a, a reporting perspective. Um, generally, you'd have gone to a Chelsea game three hours before kickoff, sometimes even for a big, for a really big game, four hours before kickoff. Um, you wouldn't drive to many games because parking is pretty much impossible. You'd take public transport. The ones you did park at, you'd get there super early and park up and go and have something to eat somewhere and, and do it that way. But you'd get there super early. You'd have this big build-up. You'd see a lot of people. Getting there early at Chelsea is good as well. You can meet contacts. You can talk to people. You can see people face-to-face, try and maybe schedule in a meeting with a, a player agent or something like that beforehand. And then, yeah, and then go to the game and you, you would wait an hour or so after the game and the managers would come in and then you'd be down the mix zone and you'd get close to the players and again, on and off the record chats with players, which is very helpful. And then literally overnight that was stripped away. And now, you know, you go to a game maybe an hour before kickoff. Uh, the perk of it is most, most, most places now you can pretty much park right outside the stadium and then you, you go in, you get taken to your seat, which at Stamford Bridge isn't a press seat anymore. We're just sitting in the stand behind the, the dugout. So they've used the whole stand to separate everybody. Um, you still have a small desk, but not, not like it used to be. Um, and you don't really talk to anyone. You don't really see anyone. You report on the match, then, then Frank will come on Zoom straight afterwards. You'll do the press conference that way. You might talk to a player on the phone. But, and in fairness, Chelsea have been good at trying to help with that, but it's a lot less relaxed than it used to be in terms of trying to just have a chat. It's you pretty much do an interview in a few minutes and, and get off the phone and, and then you're home super early, you know, and a night match from Chelsea, I wouldn't be home till maybe one thirty in the morning. Now from a Chelsea night match, I'll get home half 11, quarter to 12, because everything's just in and out. And, you know, we're as reporters, we're really privileged to be in there, but it's made the job a lot different because, we're not seeing anyone, you know. I'm not having a coffee with an agent or someone from the club before the game. I'm not bumping into someone around the press room at the game and having a chat. You try and keep, like I'm sure you all do in your jobs, you try and keep that contact going through over the phone and Zoom, but it's difficult. It's a bit forced. It's a bit sort of 
artificial in a way. So it, it has really changed the job. And, you know, we haven't, it's probably March since I literally saw a player or saw Frank in, in flesh, in the flesh, or saw even a Chelsea press officer in the, in the flesh. And so we're getting on for towards a year, you know, it's, it's, we've all got kind of used to it. And yet you're always aware that the job is made more difficult by it. And I actually think it's harder to judge the feeling around the club and the feeling around performances and things when you're removed from it, even though you're within it, talking to the people, you still feel removed from it. And you, you've got to be careful not to judge more harshly, I think, because of that. So as you talk about that transition into the no fan era, as we might call it, of 2020, and think about, you know, kind of heading into maybe a period now where we, you know, have fans you know, starting to return in some areas, but depending upon the the tier and the cases of, uh, of COVID, um, that that is now kind of changing, you know, when we have fans, when we don't have fans, what will you kind of take away from how they have come back and how that's maybe been handled like in, in, in will that be something that kind of affects how you think about you know was that done the right way or was that kind of brought into a situation appropriately or or do you feel like there's a need to to try to figure that out a little bit more and be more kind of it's, consistent it's a tough it's a tough question there's definitely a need to be more consistent i mean everything that's contradictory at the moment it, it must be the same over there for you guys but uh, for instance you know I live in London. We, we've gone into tier three. I, I'm not going to the shops, but I, I'm allowed to go to a shopping centre and go to the shops all day long if I want to today. If I could, I wouldn't want to, but I could. Um, where there'd be hundreds or thousands of people. And I live very close to one of the biggest shopping centres in London. You know, there's always thousands of people there. I could spend eight hours there if I wanted shopping. And yet, at the moment, 2,000 people can't go into Stamford Bridge where they'd only be there for a couple of hours. It's way more controlled. People would have temperature checks because they went in where you wouldn't do if you were going shopping. And the whole thing is extremely contradictory. It's very, very difficult um, to, to work out why certain decisions have been made. It feels strange to me that you can't have still a very limited number of fans. And I fear that's going to be the way again for a couple of months now. It doesn't feel like we're going to get out of these tiers for a while. So I certainly feel for Chelsea, they're not going to have any home fans for quite some time. Again, it seems petty to talk about it being fair and unfair in terms of other teams. You know, Liverpool and Everton will have fans in their stadiums at the moment because they're tier two. We've got bigger concerns over whether, you know, bigger world concerns than whether Liverpool can have fans and, and Chelsea can't. But it, I think it will make a difference. You know, Everton have been better with their fans in the stadium. Um, I think my my desk at my work were, were talking about last week, the fact that, that most, there was a pickup across the board with most teams that had some fans in the stadium. I noticed at Chelsea, for instance, my I wasn't at the Leeds game, I was at the Krasnodar game. Um, which, of course, is a dead rubber. And normally the, the atmosphere for a dead rubber like that would be pretty patchy anyway with a, a full Stamford Bridge. The 2,000 fans in, they kind of gave it everything. It was a really good atmosphere. It probably makes you realise that when you go to a game with 40,000 fans in, there's probably only 5,000 fans singing at, at one time in reality. Um, and, of course, because they're there and they've been away for so long, they're giving it 
way more effort than they normally would. 2,000 fans can create a good atmosphere and a slightly hostile atmosphere for the opposition as well. So I do think it makes a difference, but I don't see Chelsea fan. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, and obviously I don't, I don't know. This is a guess, but just going on the information we do have, I don't see Chelsea having any fans in for a little while again now. The one other thing during that pause is, you know, that there were the way each of the clubs handled the shutdown period was a little bit different. And, you know, I think maybe one of the things that, you know, we kind of as, as Chelsea supporters will remember how the club responded, kind of the proactive decisions that they made uh, for player safety, for supporter safety, for, you know, even just, you know, the general well-being or kind of safety of others. You know, how, how do you think that element will be remembered kind of in years to come on how Chelsea responded, maybe compared to some of the, the other clubs in the, the Premier League and kind of world football? Well, Chelsea think, had one of the first cases, right, with Callum Hudson-Odoi, too. So I think it yeah. probably hit Chelsea a lot closer to home than a lot of the clubs. Yeah, you're right. And obviously, they've got the, the hospital right next to the, the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that played a big part because, you know, they opened up the hotels for NHS staff. NHS staff were fed at those hotels. They could get breakfast. They could get lunch. I mean, that that side of the response from Chelsea was really, really good. And they were one of the first to to quickly respond and... And, and do good like that. They, they, they haven't been without that. Look, let's praise them for what they've done. I think they've done a lot of good work. I think the, the hotel and the NHS staff, I think Abramovich has put in a lot of money that way. I think that's that's been good. They've they've had some, some stumbles like other clubs. You know, they did try to get the players to take a, a wage cut um, and they couldn't. And I can understand that the players didn't want to take a wage cut because then Chelsea went and spent £220 million in the summer. So, you know, that's very difficult to square off against each other. And one thing that's disappointed me recently is the ticket prices for the games when they have come back. You know, £75 for the Leeds game. If if fans would have been allowed in for the West Ham game, again, it was going to be another £75. That's too much at the moment. It's too much to ask of people. It's it's. I, I don't think there was any evil intent or bad intent from Chelsea. I just think they got that wrong. And I do hope when Chelsea fans are allowed back in next time that the, the ticket prices are reflective of where society at and the difficulties financially people have faced. Amen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's maybe an opportunity to reset on a couple of things. I think we've all been there where we felt really good about a decision, rolled it out. Got feedback, said, okay, um, when can we change it? And this is maybe yeah. a little subtle option. We heard a lot of, or I, I heard the, you know, some of the people on the fan cast that are involved in Chelsea Supporters Trust. We've read the, their releases and things like that. And yeah, it was not how they the fans wanted to see it, but it's always a balance for them. So, um, you know, overall, I think we, we all as fans look back at Chelsea uh, very proudly with how they responded in that situation, obviously compared to some of the other clubs. Um, you know, but fair is fair, Matt. You know, if obviously if Chelsea are looking to save 10% on wages, that would create a ton of money back in the club. But um, I think overall they were one of the better performers in it, and it was a, it was a, a feel-good spot for us as, as supporters. So um, let's take a real quick break. When we get back, we have more 2020 review champions league qualification the huge summer transfer window uh and maybe some player interviews that that matt remembers most so uh thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back 2020 has changed what working looks like in a pretty remarkable way and you know what the year's almost over 
or it might already be by the time you're listening to this. Businesses across the world are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire right now is super critical and Indeed is here to help. There are no more job sites in the world, more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find the quality of candidate you need quickly so you can focus on hiring the right person you need to keep your business going. We've seen it this year. You need a good football hire? You probably don't go to Indeed. It's just probably not how it works. But for other industries, it might actually be the perfect thing. And right now, they've got a new way of matching you with candidates that instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your specific job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor your job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a $75 credit. Free, that's free. At Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Best offer available everywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com forward slash BlueWire. The offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year, which means new balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best when it comes to men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of hair on their balls. Dan, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I agree. 2020 sucked. And 2021 is right around the quarter. So, you know, if you want to get that new year freshness going on, you know, they've got the perfect package, you know, which is a collection of items like the lawnmower 3.0. You've got the, the weed whacker to take care of those annoying nose hairs and ears hair. And, you know, I mean, look, they also got other products that you could use, too. They've got a ball toner right? The crop reliever. They've got a ton of different things. And as we're recording this, uh, we're getting laughed at. And you know, ultimately that's okay. Because you know what? You have to find joy in this moment. And one of the things that can bring you joy, Brandon, can be a brand new package from Manscaped. Uh, it's true. Look, if you're going to you know, take care of yourself and, and do some cleaning up, you might as well do it with the right equipment. Uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, it's waterproof skinscape trimmer, reduces the nicks to your two best friends, right? Uh, it comes with a shed travel bag. Keep all your goodies stored together. Um, well, and, and, and Brandon, the, and Brandon, don't forget, you know, the ball is going to drop at midnight. Make sure the ball well, looks good with the Lawnmower 3.0 and Manscaped. Use our code London is Blue for 20% off and free shipping on your first order. That is London is Blue, the code. 20% off plus free shipping. So when the balls drop, everything looks pretty. All right. Well, there you go. 20% off and free shipping with the code London is blue at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code London is blue. Happy New Year to you and your balls. All right. So, Matt, I mean, like the prevailing storyline to me, I think, in 2020 was that Chelsea did just enough, had enough help. To, to scramble over the the line to to finish in a Champions League spot, um, especially you know difficult given the the project restart and the amount of matches in a condensed a period of, of time, right? I mean, I think the the time period condensed by three weeks, and there were the same amount of matches, and so it was great for supporters who were at home uh, who got to watch the Premier League every other day, essentially, but. Uh, certainly was a, a challenge to get it over the line and have enough healthy players to finish the season. So what were your kind of thoughts around the Champions League qualification and specifically how Chelsea kind of used 2020 to to get over the line? Yeah, it's interesting because 
the, I remember I made my player of last season, Mason Mount, but in actual fact, the player of 2020, which is a different thing, you'd have to say either Pulisic or Giroud, um, who both didn't maybe have great periods up to 2020. Pulisic started, obviously, to come into to form before 2020, but the, the start of the season had been bad for him. Um, but 2020 were, were huge for those guys. And I think those two guys, more than anyone else, got, got Chelsea over the line. I mean, Giroud's goals, particularly after the restart, and um, Pulisic just caught fire for a while, didn't he? I mean, he, he's obviously had his injury problems and he's had spells where he's been out with in, in 2020. But generally, when he's played, and particularly in 2020 last season, he he really caught fire. And there were, there were sort of echoes of Eden Hazard at times in the way he was just taking games and, and winning games on his own. Um, I, I was impressed. I, I was worried. For, I remember when football stopped. And then we were we were coming back for the restart. I was actually really worried for Chelsea's chances at that point. I thought it would be difficult for them to pick back up. And I, I thought they had a difficult-looking fixture list. Um, and they, they did well. They, they came back and they came back strongly and, and they, they got there. And they got there in a game which, again, looked a really tough game on paper. And yet that Wolves game at home proved to be quite comfortable for them in the end. It, they took it to the wire. But really, in terms of the game, it was... It was never really very nerve-wracking, was it? It was they pretty much had it in their hands the whole time. So they did well. They did well. I think twenty twenty to qualify. Look at the start of that season. Lots of people wouldn't have said Chelsea were going to qualify for the Champions League. So to do that in twenty twenty was good. Obviously, there was the Bayern Munich defeat, but Bayern was so strong last last season. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it, and and the way the way the second leg sort of transpired after the restart, it just became a bit a bit of a nothing, didn't it? It was a bit of a giveaway. So it, it, the the whole restart really impacted that. There were some really exciting games, though, weren't there? I mean, I remember look, they, they didn't win it, but Arsenal two all. That that was a really exciting game when David Luiz got sent off. You won't like me saying this, but Martinelli scored that goal where there's still that image of Martinelli where he gets free and there's. About six Chelsea players trying to catch him up when he, when he breaks on them, but and I think that game was probably the end of Kepper. I think that was probably that 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 spelled the end for Kepper. He played again after then a couple of times, but I remember I think I'm correct in saying that that Frank changed it to Caballero after that game for a little bit before having another go with Kepper. And I think that game crystallised all the worries and thoughts and probably the theory that. Kepper wasn't going to somehow magically turn good um, and that they were going to have to do something about it. I, th- I think that Arsenal game was big for him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure N'Golo Kante slipped, right? That's right. That's so right. at least we had a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal's fans' top moment of 2020 right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, but yep. You know, I, I just remember how that table shaped right to the wire. Um. Obviously, Liverpool were going to win it. You knew that. Man City comfortably second. But Leicester were in third right up until the end, and they had their slip. Wolves were right in the mix. Even Sheffield United was in the mix. Uh, but Tottenham missed out. Leicester City missed out. Wolves, Arsenal, Sheffield. That was that was what 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 looked like. you know. And, and from a points, we were 66. United made the jump right at the end, and they went ahead of us at 66. But... Even though we had a four-point cushion on Leicester and fifth, it was not, you know, comfortable right until the end. 
Uh, we got lucky that a couple things fell our way, but um, to to just for the team to get over the line and kind of hit the bare minimum after no summer transfers and losing Aiden Nazard and you know Frank coming in, it, it, it seemed like enough that all right, all right, we can breathe. Uh, let's give Frank another season because, you know, there was lamps out, hashtags and things. And you'll probably always have a dissenting group against, you know, whoever the manager is because you can never please anyone. But then came the summer transfer window, quote unquote summer, that wasn't really in the summer. Uh, but Chelsea already done business with uh, Ziyech. Um, and then in came... Obviously, a flood of other signings at big prices, Matt, that other clubs weren't able to match. And, you know, you think about Timo Werner going to Liverpool. They allegedly couldn't afford him. Kai Averts wanted to go to Real Madrid. They allegedly couldn't afford him. Um, wh- I mean, what a what a weird transfer window for you and trying to cover things. I mean, like, it, it, are Chelsea really doing this? If you... Particularly as well, if you just rewind back to, to January 2020 when they didn't do anything... And, you know, Frank in every press conference was sort of calling for them to, to do things. And he made his interest in Cavani public. Um, they were trying to do strikers at the last minute. They were, they were trying to do Dre's Mertens. They really went for Dre's Mertens. Um, and they, they felt like sticking plasters at the time a little bit, you know, Cavani, Dre's Mertens, because they had this sort of problem up front and they thought Giroud was going... And I wonder how history would have panned out if they'd have signed a, a Cavani or Dre's Mertens because obviously at some point they didn't get them and then they just decided, forget it then. We're not going to do anything. We're going to save it all till the summer because yeah. they were offered players right at the end of January who in previous years they'd have taken. You know, Salomon Rondon was offered to them right at the end of the January transfer window. And as ridiculous as that sounds, in the years of signing Pato, and in the years of signing Higuain and January and others, they'd have taken that option. They'd have taken that option and, and panicked and taken a sticking plaster. And at, at, there was a certain point in January, towards the end of the window, when they just said, actually, no, we'll wait. And that set up what was to follow in the summer. And they tried to sign Ziyech in the January, and basically Ajax had said, we're not doing the deal in January, but they were clever enough to to get it done in February, I think it was, they actually signed him and, and then wait. And then, yeah, the summer, the summer, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to think when I got wind that the summer was going to be as big as it was. I mean, we we knew it would probably start fast because they'd done, they'd done Ziyech and we, I, I kind of knew that they wanted Werner and, and Chilwell as quickly as they could possibly. I mean, Chilwell ran a little bit, but I knew they wanted to try and do those quick. But then to do it as big as they did it, and it was just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And there was a there was a period of weeks where it was just non-stop. It was absolutely, it was just one player after the other player after the other player. And it was crazy. It was, it, it felt crazy. Tiago Silva, look, I'll admit it, Tiago Silva came from nowhere on, on my radar. I did completely managed to keep that a secret. And and all of a sudden it was, well, will they sign a centre back? Won't they sign? Oh, Tiago Sight. Tiago Silva signing on a free transfer, you know. Um, they worked really fast and really efficiently during the summer. And, and there's no doubt about it. And they didn't do it in a crass way. They didn't do it in a distasteful way. But there's no doubt about it that they took advantage of the fact that other clubs were not able to move in the market because of the pandemic. And I do think that altered their transfer strategy to maybe go bigger and faster than they would have done because there was an opportunity there. And it, I'm, I really want to underline the point that was not a crass 
sort of heartless decision to to take advantage of a pandemic. It was just seeing the market was in front of them and 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 using an opportunity, and that worked for them on Verna. It definitely worked for them on Havertz. I think they'd have had huge competition on Havertz in another summer. Um, and yeah, it was it was spectacular, and it just kept going and going and going. It, it was a little bit though, Matt. Like you know, there were some clear top targets as you mentioned. Then there's some under the radar. You know, your your Mendy's, your Silva's. You know, th- those types of signings as well. So it wasn't just that that Chelsea went out and signed the you know kind of top player in each mm-hmm. category that, the, that they wanted, but they did try and find balance in the transfer market as well, both financially and and from a kind of an experience perspective. Um, you can't just have a team of all 21, 22, 23-year-olds and, and expect to win the Champions League. So bringing in some experience for Mendy and and uh, Thiago Silva was was a good thing. Um, Dan, I'm, I'm curious, of all the signings that, that have happened, from your perspective, which one do you think, in 2020 in particular, has been most impactful? Oh gosh, I think we've asked that question a couple of times now. And so we're, we're actually at the <laughs> yeah, end of the but year. The and so now, now we have we're to decide. It changes you know, though, doesn't it? The answer changes every week. It's One a, it's minute a, it's Werner, the next minute it's Mendy. Yeah, it's a then carousel. It's yeah. I, I think it, it probably has to be a defender or keeper just because of the change in the back that ultimately happened and you know the the way that maybe Werner and Havertz have had hot and cold spells. You know, I, I think Chilwell is probably the one that I have enjoyed the most out of all of them. Uh, you know, solidifies the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, I mean, I get, maybe we can consider N'Golo Conte a re-signing with the fact that his form is drastically improved from his 2019-2020 campaign. But yeah, I, I think Chilwell from just a ambassadorial role, his willingness to stick a finger in Timo Werner's potatoes to try to bring the team together, you know, some of the intangible elements. There's there's a lot to like there. I mean, it, it was great to see them intentionally solve issues as well. Um, you know, obviously, I think Edouard Mendy coming in is just a huge win in, in many different ways. Obviously, me being the card-carrying member of the Goalkeepers Union makes me biased, but it's been such a, such a big lift. But we've also seen Zuma step up. We've seen Reese James come in. Like there are people that were in the team that are absolutely improved this season as well that that have helped with, with that. I don't know. So um, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking, Nick. Opposite side, I'm going Ziyech. I, I think I wish it is I clear. wish you were more healthy, and I'd say yeah, for sure. I'd agree. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think when he's in there, though, it's clear what he offers uh, compared to when he's not in that, there. That's so. been it's almost been made clearer by when he's not been in there how important mm-hmm. he is, isn't it? Because he's he came yep. in had a great impact, and then I've got to be honest, when he got injured again, I I saw it as a blow, but I didn't see it as a you know potentially throwing up so many issues. And it's him being out has now created quite a lot of issues, and that's that's when you I think really really value him and and see see how he brings everything together for that front line. Matt, are we crazy to be concerned at all the soft muscle injuries that are happening since we've kind of opened that door? It seemed like Chelsea players used to be machines and never injured and we'd point at arsenal about all their injury problems we've like been hit by a plague of these injuries all of a sudden and i'm not even including the 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 achilles injuries because to me those are flukes yeah it's um that's a really tough question i mean famously a lot of Mourinho sides don't have 
huge injury problem because he does push players through injuries and they are kind of made to play at times where, you know, maybe the managers wouldn't force them to play. I also think it's a bit of a generational thing as well. You know, that that squad that, that Lampard was in, you know, that, that was the generation of player who would play no matter what. Um, you don't have a lot of that anymore, to be quite honest with you. You know, these days, if a player is 85%, they probably don't play. Um, and we're in this strange season of where we haven't had a pre-season. Um, the games are coming thick and fast. So I think that impacts the injuries as well. So I think it's difficult to make an informed call or an informed sort of even guess at whether they should be concerned because all bets are off this season, really. And, you know, look at Liverpool, look at, you know, even Tottenham. I know that's not been their main players, but Tottenham have had injuries. I think everyone's going to get a lot of injuries this season. Yeah, Pulisic is a bit different because Pulisic is a, is a thing that's been happening for a while and keeps coming back. And I'm a bit more concerned on Pulisic for, for different reasons than I am the others because that, that seems to keep happening. So you know, I think we might award Marina a statue at some point in the future for the way the summer window was executed. But if I'm thinking about maybe who deserves honors at the club for being maybe the most important person at Chelsea over the year, just with the way it kind of transpired, I almost think it might have to be Neil Bath with the fact that you look at this first team side and you know you have Mason Mount who's settled in as a starter every match. You have Reese James who's entering into the conversation of is he the best right back in in all of England and you know trying to kind of challenge uh, Alexander Arnold for for that title. And then you know Tammy Abraham who was the top goal scorer for Chelsea last season. And so you know I, I think maybe another storyline was just the year of the youth, the feel good factor that kind of brought about in this Chelsea side. Uh, how do how do you how will you remember that you know from 2020? So yeah, the the, the academy has been unbelievable. I think it's something we'll look, look back on and and sort of never really forget. I think it's going to be a moment in Chelsea's history. I really do that that people always re- revert back to. You know, you can't underestimate. What, I mean, let's go through the as you said, Tammy, who was top scorer. People outside Chelsea will laugh at this, but he's worth a minimum now £50 million. You've got Rhys James, probably the best right back in the country at the moment. Again, £40, £50 million. Mason Mount, £40 million. You know, there must be £200 million worth of talent come through the academy now. I mean, it's it's insane. Um, and I don't see it. It's not abating. You know, you've, you've got more players in there. You've got Lewis Bate, who is going to come through at some point, who everybody's absolutely raving about. You've got Tino Angerin, who we've already seen playing the Champions League the other week. And, and, you know, people rave about him. I haven't seen an awful lot of him. Um, They're going to keep coming. Billy Gilmore was bought in from Rangers, so he's a bit different. But Billy Gilmore is going to be a a huge player. It's massive. It's levels of Manchester United in terms of youth. I think I wrote something for my newsletter the other day. I think, um, so the Wolves game will be in the 81st consecutive game in which an academy graduate has now started for Chelsea. Um, that figure will almost certainly hit 100 around March or April time because you can't see where an academy graduate isn't going to start again. Now, Manchester United currently have a stat whereby I think they are 400 successive games where an academy graduate has either been on the bench or started the game. 
That's obviously going to take a few years, but I wouldn't mind betting that, that Chelsea would equal 400 games where they're having a, a graduate either on the bench or, or starting a game. I mean, it's going to go on and on and Particularly as well, if, you know, Frank stays in the job 100%. I mean, it might change if Frank were to lose his job and a foreign manager come in who's not quite so committed to some of these lads. But the, it, the, the stats on the, the kids are going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. And you, you're right to bring it up. And yeah, Neil Bath, you know, if you're going to go for a man of 2020, Neil Bath's as good as, or man or woman, because you include Marina with, with Chelsea. Um, Neil Bath's as good as anyone to go for. It is. It has been a very enjoyable season to see these kids, quote unquote, come good and and have such a role for Chelsea. You know, it seems like um, we had our surge come through, and that was important for Frank and obviously Jody and Joe to to make it happen. And the kids have delivered as well, which has been just fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I do think that the badge just means more to them, and, and I think it, it's fair to understand that. But now that you've maybe had them or some different ones, is there a player or maybe just an interview in general that you did in this past 12 months that, that kind of stands out to you that you'll kind of look back maybe a little bit more fondly? Um, it's a strange one because of the subject matter, but Danny Drinkwater... It was a fascinating interview. I spent two hours with Danny Drinkwater in a in a home lobby, um, and it was fascinating. You know, I had my preconceived ideas of what Danny Drinkwater was like because he doesn't talk to the press. You know, when I talk to you about the fact we stand around talking to some of these players, Danny Drinkwater wouldn't have been a player who would stand around to us, and of course, he wouldn't have been playing much either, so we wouldn't see him much. Um, he was a fascinating individual. He's a very troubled guy. I feel sorry for him. He's had a lot of difficulties in his life. Um, that doesn't excuse some of what he's done. But I, I sometimes find people like him more interesting to interview than than just the good news stories because it's more interesting to try and find out why things haven't worked out for someone or why somebody's had the difficulties they've had rather than just talking to someone constantly about how great everything is. So. Two hours in his company was was really interesting, and I, I was sorry that he didn't get a move in the summer. And I'm sorry to see that, you know, things aren't going well for him at the moment. Um, so that would stand out in my memory. Um, I did a very interesting interview. Well, a few did. It wasn't just me. Tiago Silva was was very very interesting. You know, we had to do it through a translator when he first joined Chelsea, but to listen to his story. And his experience was was fascinating. You could talk to someone like that for hours about football because the experiences they've lived through, you know, coming through in Brazil and then going to all the big clubs and all that time at PSG and the players he's played with, you know, you could sit with him for sort of four or five hours and listen to his stories. Really, really interesting. And obviously very different from a lot of the Chelsea players now who are at the start of their careers. And you, you tend to find with Chelsea players at the moment, you you're talking about the future a lot and you're talking about what they want to do. So to talk to a player about this incredible career he's had and now the fact that he wants to, you know, his big dream is to play in the next World Cup um, 2022. So he's he's motivated to do that and he believes he will do that and he still believes that some of the best years of his career are to come. So, yeah, he he was a fascinating guy, really, really interesting. 
Yeah, thanks, Tiago Silva, for reminding me that I'm younger than you and in worse shape, so I got a little bit of work to do. <laughs> he is motivated. Um, I mm-hmm. I have also really enjoyed reading up about Tiago Silva. I remember him and his AC Milan days, the big move where him and Zlatan moved from AC Milan to PSG to really start this huge kind of project there. Um when you look back at what he's won and what he's done, it, it is fantastic. It is phenomenal. And he is having a bit of a resurgence in his career. I think the Brazil team tried to move on from him, but now he's back in it, and he's absolutely in the mix. And and uh, they have a really good Brazil team too. So I'd want to be in that fold too, Nick. I mean, why not? Another vacation? Unfortunately, it's in Qatar, mired with controversy, but we won't we won't get into that. That's 2022's problem, Brandon. <laughs> we're, we're in 2020. Um <laughs> The one match that sunned up Chelsea's 2020. If you got to point at one and be like, yep, that was it. Wow, that is a good question. That is a good question. Don't say Bournemouth. It's a bit harsh because... <laughs> I, can't, I can't bring them back. I, I'm, I, I kind of don't want to be too harsh because I do think 2020 has been a good year for Chelsea. Um and so this match that I might say might make it online negative Chelsea in 2020. I know not. It just it just sort of had everything though though for me. I mean that that Southampton three all draw recently felt a very Chelsea 2020 match. You know it was incredibly entertaining. Chelsea played brilliantly first half and you know took took Southampton apart and then managed to nearly completely shoot themselves in the foot and and sort of. Uh, gave up a great position. So that that summed of it up. But then on the other hand, they, they've got, they, what they've continually done in 2020 is get over the line. So, you know, beating Manchester City at home, the, the game that gave them all the title, and, and beating Wolves at home, that those games where they just got over the line, Villa away after the restart, you know, obviously being the Villa fan, I remember very well. They turned the game around when they'd been battering Villa and, and fell behind. Probably those games sum it up well of, of managing to get over the line and probably just just do enough and just sort of um, silence the critics who are probably ready to to go for them at points during those games or, or points leading up to those games. Uh, w- one thing that we're interested in, Matt, and we, we only have one more question after this that I'll, I'll pass to Dan. Uh, I, I'm always interesting as to what is, is left on the cutting room floor. W- which story do you think didn't get enough coverage in 2020 you know which story are you do you wish would have had more attention or more fanfare compared to maybe something else but you know what it's, it's quite it's quite a serious subject in a way and i'm i'm sorry not to like say a transfer story or something like that but one huge thing that chelsea did in, in 2020 was they were the first club to adopt the ihra definition of anti-semitism Mm. Um, in terms of their battle against anti-Semitism, which they've been massive on. I went to a few events this year that they, they put on around that um, with the murals that, that Solomon's been doing for them, which are incredible. I mean, they had one mural last year, which was just huge, that you'd have seen through all the, the Chelsea sites. And um, just recently, it was announced that 19 of the 20 Premier League clubs have now signed up to this IHRA document of the the definition of anti-semitism so that they can deal properly with anti-semitism and there was something concrete for them to work against when when deciding whether anti-semitism has been prevalent either by 
players, fans, staff, whoever. And I just think it was a huge moment for Chelsea to adopt that and take a lead on that. And we've spoken so much in 2020 about racism and the great work that lots of people are trying to do in the fight against racism and the fact that, unfortunately, racism seems to have slightly got worse again. Um, and sometimes anti-Semitism gets lost lost a little bit within that, I, I think. And, and yet it's a huge form of racism and it's a huge issue. And it's an issue Chelsea have struggled with in, in their history. And so for them to put out that statement, I thought was massive. And, you know, I was, I was proud that our paper did give it good coverage, but it probably didn't get the coverage it deserved. And it probably doesn't get mentioned alongside some of the other anti, anti-racism things that clubs and people have done that get a lot of a lot of praise that that, that Chelsea did that and I I think that that is worth remembering and maybe worth re-highlighting when it, it probably didn't get quite the uh, the attention it deserved at the time I think that's a really great shout for something that we should put additional focus on I mean I think we saw throughout the entirety of this past season, you know, the taking of the knee before the matches in support of, of racial equality and Black Lives Matter, the work that Chelsea has done and I think leading the way in the Premier League about the, the combating anti-Semitism has been, I think, nothing short of, you know, has been the, the banner carriers for that cause. You know, I think about the, the trips that mm-hmm. they've taken to, to Auschwitz with the uh, members of the supporters groups, uh, you know, the way that they've, you know, kind of jumped in to uh, hold or kind of move quickly to ban people from the grounds uh, for those type of offenses. Um, and, you know, I think, not no no group of people is perfect no group of supporters is perfect but i think that they've had to take a hard stance against uh you know people who've been uh supporters of the club for a long time and uh, are doing the right thing uh to help improve uh you know what is you know kind of the, the and what needs to be done bren and that is very very true um Definitely proud of what the club do in in that lane for for sure. So I'm glad you brought it up, Matt. All right, so we we got to end on on something positive, and there's no finer cast member uh, here to to talk about the positive than myself, Matt. So uh, D- Dan brought up this idea of looking at 2021. What should Chelsea's New Year's resolutions be? Right, and there's there's plenty to work on. So you know there, there's no yep. short list here, but like just thinking about you know, how Chelsea might target something, you know, to improve on and, and maybe uh, improve their chances in any okay. of these competitions. Number one, they need to balance up that squad. It's still a very imbalanced squad. It's too big. It's far mm. too big. Even with all the games, I think it's it's basically a 20, it's a 25 man, all senior players, all expecting to play every week squad, which isn't, isn't healthy. Um, five centre-backs, centre-backs got to go. It's probably Tamori on loan. Three left backs. They need to sort out the, the left backs. Four, if you count Baba Rahman, they need to balance it up again because in the summer they spent so much energy having that incredible summer of incomings that they were then left with an imbalanced squad. So I think number one top New Year's resolution is to balance up that squad and start doing it in January. Um, I think that will help. That will help a lot of of what Frank's trying to do. Um, then I think after that, I think that the consistency, we still haven't seen, we thought we were getting the consistency and then 
the last couple of games before we're talking now today that that, that consistency's come into question again. They've got to learn how to win games ugly. They've got to learn how to, you know, Wolves, we, we spoke about it in the last, last episode, but you've got to get over the line in that game. You've got to learn how to get over that line. You can't keep looking to the bench for solutions off the bench. You've got to, you've got to learn off that. I, I'd like to see in 2021 a real leader come out of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, Aspie's on the bench at the moment. Giroud, in his own way, can be a leader. Thiago Silva can obviously be a leader, but he's limited because obviously he's not been at the club too long and he's, he, as well as he's learning English and as well as he can speak to everyone in French and Spanish and everything, his communication can't be perfect. So from this group of young players and from this group of players that they've got, I'd like to see a leader emerge. You know, there's not, there's not a natural captain or playing captain at the moment when, when Aspie's is out on the bench. So I'd like to see something from, from that perspective emerge. Um, so they're, they're, they're three, they would be my three big resolutions, I think. And then sign Declan Rice is, a, is an easy one at some stage, sign Declan Rice, because I do think he would be huge for them. The teaser and at I the think, end. I do, think, I do think, here we go, I'm going to say 2021 is going to bring Chelsea Declan Rice, but probably closer towards the end of 2021 than right at the start of 2021. All right. I think well, that's something we can all enjoy, though. Like, we would be very happy if the 2020 resolutions include everything that Matt listed. We're just going to take that. <laughs> we're going to send it to Marina. We're going to send it to Frank, Neil, CC a couple of people, and we're good to go. Uh, that is that <laughs> wrapped and delivered. So, all right, Chelsea fans, uh, uh, that's going to wrap us up for this. So, Matt, again, thanks so much for the time. Uh, it, was, it was fun to reflect thanks. back on what a weird 2020 it's been, without a doubt. Happy New Year as well. It's going to be our last one before New Year. So happy New Year for everybody. That is true. A true professional looking ahead. Um, all right, Chelsea fans. Hope you enjoyed it. Go follow Matt. Go subscribe to The Telegraph. Uh, it is well worth every penny and the follow. So uh, enjoy the new year. We will see you all in 2021. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Flying high.